Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tapsapornchai. Well, guys, we're going to continue um, our episode kind of series from last week. Uh, today, we're going to talk about prophets. And uh, if we have time, we'll talk about tongues. If we run out of time, uh, we'll just pick it up for next week's episode. Um, yeah. Prophecy is an interesting one because I think in our day and age, every Christian has heard of someone that's proclaiming to be a prophet they're all over the place um and then of course if you go overseas you know the charismatic uh charismatic theology is is kind of mainstream in in most places um Mm -hmm. but let's talk about prophecy for a few minutes um eki in fact why don't you give us kind of a biblical definition of prophecy what is prophecy and kind of what is a prophet just biblically speaking if someone weren't really familiar with what yeah in simple terms um, a a prophecy is essentially a a word of god it's it's a a word or message revealed by god to us through a person and that person is often a prophet someone who um, fills the office of a prophet is someone who who is used by god to speak the word of god to God's people. And examples of that are all over the Bible, but especially in the Old Testament, uh, people like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, they were raised up by God to be uh, basically messengers to the people and and to reveal God's word to them. Yeah. So really simple. Um, now, the challenging part gets into when we come to modern day and you have all these guys who some claim to actually be prophets, some claim to be quote unquote prophetic uh, which is yeah. really interesting way to say that and and then people just claim to you know have a word from the lord or a prophecy and it's extraordinarily deceptive because i it, none of what you see today is biblical none of it i've i've never in my entire life e- either myself witnessed having even come out of the charismatic church many years ago or anyone else ever heard of uh, or met a genuine biblical prophet someone who passed the muster biblically Right. Um, And and and, okay, so let's name some of these guys who today. So people might be familiar with guys like Benny Hinn, uh, more prosperity gospel. But you find, you know, kind of prophecy and tongues and all that sort of thing. They're um, probably the most prolific source of, quote unquote, modern day prophets would be Bethel Church in Redding, California, um, in, in your neck of the woods with Bill Johnson. They have a school of prophecy or prophetic school or whatever they call it, where they supposedly train up prophets um, and send them out and that sort of thing. So I think that's what most people are familiar with. Um, yeah. And actually, it's kind of ironic and weird if you think about it, just that they have a school that trains people to hear from God. Let's just talk about that right. for a minute. Um, if you're hearing from God, if God is talking to you, why do you need training? Right. Yeah, that's it's exactly kind of right. When, when you look, yeah, when you look at the Old Testament, God chose who he was going to raise up. 
Um, he, he called people to, to become his prophet. Or in the case of someone like Isaiah, he actually gave him a vision and then asked who's going to go forth for us. And obviously that vision was directed at Isaiah. And in the New Testament, we know from 1 Corinthians 12 that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given according to the will of the Holy Spirit, not according to the will of man. So there is nothing biblical about someone being trained to be a prophet. Now, I understand this idea of training itself. Uh, you're a pastor. I'm a pastor. We've all gone through pastoral training. And you can look back at people like Elijah and Elisha. Elisha served as kind of a disciple to uh, Elijah back in those days. So there is training in that sense. But Elisha was a prophet from the time that God called him, not because Elijah trained him to be one. Elijah didn't spend any time with him, uh, showing him how to have visions or, or dreams, but rather uh, Elisha served with him in order to understand what the prophetic ministry um, entailed. Yeah, no one had to be trained to hear an audible voice. Yeah. Or, or, or to get a dream. I mean, the Holy Spirit gave the interpretation. Even you come to the New Testament, right? Was it Peter who had the dream about the uh, the, the the foods and the cheats, right. um, and he knew what that meant because God made it very clear to him. Um, yeah. and, and so, just the idea that a prophet has to be trained to hear God's voice is, in every way, foreign to Scripture. Now, I'll say so. Someone's thinking, well, I mean, well, is there any Bible to that? Um, you know, it's interesting because oftentimes that kind of thing comes from a misreading, a really misreading of First Kings 19. Go to First Kings 19 and some translations read um, a small whisper, right? So this is Elijah at Horeb and you get down to verse 13. It says, then after the earthquake oh, of right. fire, but Yahweh was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a thin, gentle whisper. Um, so some translations read a small, still voice or something like that. But and and so they'll say, oh, well, this is an inner, an inner, small, still voice. And you have to be trained to discern whether it's, you know, your own uh, your own thoughts or maybe it's thoughts by Satan. I've heard that or maybe um, it's God. And so you, you have to go to school and learn how to discern, you know, how to hear the voice of God. Well, the problem is that this was an audible voice. Yeah, this yeah. wasn't some kind of subconscious right. thought or something that Elijah had to discern. The small, still whisper, the small, still voice. Uh, the LSB translates it best, I think, a thin, gentle whisper. Um, mm -hmm. This was something audible. Uh, and so even the one verse, and it is the only verse um, that someone might be able to go to and say, well, you have to be trained how to hear this internal voice of God. Well, there's just no such thing as that um, in, yeah. in, in Scripture. And so it's just a misreading of Scripture, misinterpretation, which is really, really common. In fact, the whole idea of modern day prophets is based on either uh, ignoring Scripture, misinterpreting Scripture or twisting Scripture. Um, and, and I want to leave room for ignorance because people kind of get caught up in this movement um, and they're just following what they've been taught. Right. They've been taught that a small, still yeah. voice is you know your your kind of internal thoughts to yourself and some of them are god and some of them are yourself um and, and so they get caught up in this not because they're twisting scripture or trying to uh somehow demean the word of god they just get caught up being deceived themselves but men like bill johnson 
who leads this kind of movement. Uh, probably he's probably the most prominent one, I would say. Um, you know, it, not only is he deceiving people, I mean, he, he's a deceiver. He knows what he's doing. He, he knows well enough. He's not a dumb guy. Um, and so it makes a mockery of the true gift of prophecy. So if someone were listening to us and they were like, well, I mean, what do you do with all the prophetic words? How can we really be sure there are no more prophets today? Well, scripture gives us some litmus tests, right? Um, and uh, maybe, Eki, if you want to pull up, uh, let's just go to Deuteronomy. Um, right. uh, there, I think there are really three kind of litmus tests in scripture, right? We see moral character being attached to a prophet. So we'll talk about that. We see um, predictive accuracy in, in, in prophecy. And we see um, theological orthodoxy, right? Um, all being associated with prof prophecy. This, this is a great passage. Why don't you read that to us? Uh, and let's just kind of talk about what we find in Deuteronomy 13. If, if you want to know what the Bible says about prophets and prophecy, you, you need to know these passages. Um, I'm in Deuteronomy 18. Did you want me to go to 13? Oh, yeah. Let's go to 13. Um, 13 and yeah, 18. Well, we, yeah, we go to both of those right. places. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 13, starting in verse 1, if a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the word of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. You shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling, cling to him. But that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you. From the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall purge the evil from among you. So, essentially, we are talking about a prophet who actually gives an accurate prediction. That's what it's describing here in verses 1 and 2. If the prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true. All right, so this is actually someone who says something that is true concerning which he spoke to you. But also attached to that is, let us go after other gods. Well, the conclusion in verse 5 is that uh, you shall purge the evil from among you, which uh, I believe means means essentially to uh, execute him. Um, and yeah. we see something similar in Deuteronomy 18 as well. But so so this is, you know, when we have fortune tellers, uh, when we have soothsayers, mediums, people like that, they reveal things that seem to be true. People will respond to that as, oh, this must be a sign from God. But the problem is, um, is that person leading you to Christ? Is that person pointing to the truth of, of, of the scriptures? Or is that person subtly leading you into a, a kind of false worship of a false god? And, uh, and and yeah, so so the prophets of God were spokespeople of God who did not worship anyone other than God. They were not perfect, all right? That we're not saying that they were perfect. We know Jonah was disobedient to God and going to mm -hmm. Nineveh, um, but Jonah was never confused about who the true God was. And in fact, at the end of Jonah, um, his anger towards God is is revealed because he knows God to be a loving and gracious God, and he knew that by sending him to Nineveh that he would end up saving the Ninevites, and so that was actually the reason why he went. Um, but yeah, in this case, uh, many who claim to be prophets today, I believe, portray a God that is not 
the the true God of the Bible. Yeah, and I I like going to this passage because it first anyway because for the people who are like, well, there are real prophets. Um, it, it's even when there were real prophet, when when there were the office of prophet, yeah. um, e- even if he said something that was true, that was not yeah. a validation ne- that was necessarily from God. The, va- the the point here, I think, in this text is that there had to be um, doctrinal perfection. There had to be yeah. theological perfection in the prophecy and doctrinal right. soundness in general, right? And so if you had a prophet that even could, you know, predict something accurately, and it was a true prophecy, and here, this is talking about true prophecy, not, you know, someone special is going to come into your life in the next six months, kind of yeah. garbage we see today. Um, if ultimately the ending result was not doctrinal soundness, they were to be put to death if they were leading people away from Christ. And hey, Bill Johnson is a great example of this. I mean, Bill Johnson yeah. teaches a different Christ. I mean, he denies, I mean, and he's done it publicly and it's in one of his books, I can't remember now, but you know, he he denies the 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 deity of Christ. Um, you talk about the hypostatic union, the fact that God was fully man, fully God, truly man, truly God. You know, they teach at Bethel that Jesus was just yeah. a man yeah. sent and by God, God and be yeah, and and because of that, we can imitate all the things that Jesus did because he's just a man, we're just a man. And so even if their so-called prophecies came true, their doctrinal ending leads to a different Christ. And if we would we were in Old Testament times, they would be stoned to death. And that would be the righteous verdict of a holy God. Um, and so it's it's not even the question of whether a prophecy is accurate or not. It's is their theology accurate? No. And it, and it's just interesting, uh, you know, if we think about, and I think John MacArthur's made comments similar to this. It's probably where I got it from. But if you if you think about the gifts um, and and these miraculous signs and wonders, you know, it it's silly to think that God would give the most theologically um, bankrupt group of people, these giftings, right? Um, It it just doesn't make sense at all. And so, I mean, here's just one of the litmus tests. And I think, I mean, eventually you would just argue that there are no more prophets. And we kind of talked about that in the first um, episode here, but here's a second one. A second one um, is moral integrity, right? I, I mean, it, again, I think it's it's good that we mention that we're not looking at um, perfection, right? No man's perfect. We we see you brought up Jonah. He's a really good example. Um, yeah. Not not only did he sin in trying to run from God's command, but he also sinned in his heart by hating the people that he God was sending him to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if if moral corruption characterizes a so-called prophet. He's a false prophet. Um, it, we go to Second Peter in chapter two. Um, just listen to these first few things. So Peter says here in first couple verses, but false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you uh, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon them. And many will follow their sensuality. 
because of them, they uh, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. And so they, they have kind of this character that's described here as being basically one of sensuality. Um, just, you know, they bring in destructive heresies. They're greedy in their nature. And so, you know, it's interesting. If you look at the charismatic movement as a whole, you would have to describe the movement as a whole as this. I mean, their so-called prophets are constantly, right, um, being removed temporarily for, you know, sexual misconduct and um, greed and, I mean, just time after time after time after time. I mean, think of someone like Todd Bentley, um, who, you know, brags about punching old ladies in the face or kicking old ladies in the face with his boot because God told him that's how he was going to heal them. Um, despite the fact that that's disgusting and horrendous, um, even to consider that, let alone brag about it. I mean, the guy's been removed from ministry twice um, for affairs and sexual misconducts, and now he's back in ministry again um, and supported, you know, by not only just the charismatic church, but, um, it, you know, guys like Dr. Mike Brown, who refused to really call these guys out strongly. So that's what characterizes the movement. Um Definitely a sign of false prophets. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, and and you know that that standard um, should be held to us as well. I mean, anyone who calls himself a pastor, um, a minister of God, who falls into such uh, character misconduct, uh, sexual immorality, what have you? I mean, the Bible is pretty clear when you look at uh, places like First Timothy three and Titus one that uh, such men are are to be removed uh, completely. I mean, it, such men are disqualified. And uh, I don't see any examples in scriptures of someone who has been disqualified from ministry who then is, uh, it's, it's okay for them to be reinstated. It doesn't mean that they're no longer a believer. It doesn't mean they no longer belong to the body of Christ. But it is very clear from the scriptures that such men are to be above reproach. And we're not saying that everyone who calls themselves a prophet um, fits this description. But I think what you're seeing is the lack of discernment. That happens in these in these circles when such things happen. That they lift up the perceived gift that these men have. That they're willing to overlook what the scriptures say about uh, about the standards uh, of men of God being above reproach. And so they'll overlook that, and and they'll really kind of make idols out of these men that they follow, which is really their goal, in my opinion. Especially when you read through the book of Jude, you see that they're <clears throat> they're. Their desires, their motivation is, is really about money, um, about uh, about feeding their their own stomach, and and so a lot of these men are not really there to try to push the truth. They they don't care about the truth. If they cared about the truth, they would open up the Bible and and read from the Bible and teach from the Bible. But what they care about is making money, and that's especially when you hear from Costi Hinn and and the experience that he had uh, with his uncle Benny Hinn and and just the sham that um, that circus was wherever they went. And, and our, their faith healings. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, you know, it's not that it's not to say that because there's one or two uh, people who fall that you dismiss, you know, kind of a whole segment of the church. Yeah. Right. Um, but when an entire movement can legitimately be characterized as a movement filled with corrupt morals, then again, you have to kind of step back and ask the question like, 
is this what God would put his stamp of approval on? Is this the kind of thing that we see in, in scripture, the kinds of men that he chooses uh, in general? And, you know, obviously the answer would be no. Um, and, and so it's just something to think about. Um, you, you went to Deuteronomy 18 at the beginning. And I think, I mean, this is kind of the third area where you talk about predictive accuracy. Now, this is an interesting one. Because if you go to men who we would say they are brothers in the Lord, um, we would call them maybe continuationists more than charismatics, just to kind of um, distinguish between, you know, a biblical reform soteriology and ecclesiology. Um, and, yeah. and they believe that the, the gifts maybe still function, but it's not like what we see in the charismatic church. And those guys are the fringe. They're the very few. Um, but this is the place where those guys, so I'm thinking of, uh, like Wayne Grudem, uh, in, in particular, I think DA Carson yeah. also makes this argument. Yeah. DA Carson, yeah, yeah. Grudem, Carson, in, Piper. Yep. In order to, um, it, there was a standard for predictive accuracy in the old Testament. And so these guys would recognize that what we see today doesn't fit that. So rather than saying it doesn't fit that because the office of prophet has ceased along with the apostolic um, giftings with, with the sign gifts, rather than saying it's ceased, they would say, well, it's just changed. And Gruda makes this argument again. I think I'm pretty sure Carson makes that argument too. Um, they would say, well, now prophecy's kind of morphed. It's changed a little bit. Um, there's a such thing as, you know, a, a failed prophecy. Well, yeah. I mean, let's just go to scripture and see. I mean, you went to that Deuteronomy passage. Do you have it pulled up still? Deuteronomy 18. Yeah, Deuteronomy 18, verse 20. Um, yeah, but the prophet who speaks a word. That. Yeah, the, but the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You may say in your heart, how will we know the, the word which the Lord has not spoken? And verse 22 says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. And so we we know from scripture that obviously that if a prophet leads you to a false god, that is a false prophet. But here, the other test is if they give you a prophecy and it doesn't, it doesn't meet the criteria, if it doesn't come true then you know that the Lord has not spoken it. In other words, if the Lord has spoken it, it is a true word. And so the the standard in the Old Testament was perfection. Um, you always spoke uh, you, you always spoke correctly. And, and there's no example in the Old Testament of, of a true prophet that spoke incorrectly. And I would argue there's no example in the New Testament of a true prophet who spoke incorrectly. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, at the end of that chapter, Paul even says, if anyone among you is a prophet, let him affirm what I have just written to you. And if he does not, then you are not to affirm him. So in other words, mm -hmm. if you have a prophet among you who disagrees with what I said as, as an apostle, um, then you can reject that person as a prophet. Um, if a prophet is able to make a mistake in the New Testament, then Paul wouldn't be so bold in making such uh, such claims. But He's able to basically rely upon the standard of perfection to the Corinthians to say, look, you know I'm an apostle. You know my word is authoritative because I've been appointed by Jesus Christ as an apostle to the Gentiles. And so I am telling you that this is the truth. And if any prophet there among you does not affirm it, that means you can reject him as a prophet. And so without, uh, without that standard, Paul wouldn't be able to make that kind of argument.
Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, and nowhere in the new Testament has that, um, that been rescinded. Like it prophecy yeah. hasn't changed right at all. And, you know, you can go to, uh, I think it's Agabus's prophecy. Um, and, and guys will often go to him to kind of say, well, it didn't happen exactly like, but, it, but again, I think that's not paying attention to the text. Um, and, and so it's just sort of trying to manipulate, uh, the, the text to sort of fit what we see today. Uh, let me give you a quote by Jack Deere. So Jack Deere would be one of the prominent guys in the charismatic, um, circle in, in these days. And, uh, he, at one stage, I don't know if he still does now had like a school of prophets, but listen, listen, we just read from straight from scripture and the, the penalty to getting it wrong being presumptuous was death, right? And so lest we think God didn't care, God's standard was if a prophet led you to false gods, execute him. If a prophet didn't uh, gave a prophecy and it didn't come true, execute him because he's yeah. putting words in God's mouth. And so I think we just don't take um, what prophecy is and was biblically very seriously. You're literally putting words in the sovereign God of the universe's mouth and being okay with that. And so the penalty was rightfully death, right? You're, you're, you're forging the King's signature as it were. I mean, that's exactly what it is, right? You're, you're forging the King's signature by saying, this is what he said. Um, Jack Deere says this, he says, prophets are really messy. Prophets make mistakes. And sometimes when a prophet makes a mistake, it's a serious mistake. I mean, I know prophets just last year that cost people millions of dollars with the mistake they made. I talked to people who made the wrong investments, actually moved their homes, spent tons of money. And he goes on and on. Um, and this was in a, in, in a speech that he gave in 2000. I, I mean, he just admits that not only were these prophecies wrong, but they cost people millions of dollars, cost them their homes. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about wrecking people's lives. And, and so it really is a, a heavy, weighty, serious thing. And then I think that's why it's so disappointing when guys like Wayne Grudem um, come across and make the statements that they make. And, and let me quote Grudem. Grudem says, there's almost uniform testimony from all sections of the charismatic movement that prophecy is imperfect and impure and will contain elements which are not to be obeyed or trusted. And that's in his writing of the gift of prophecy in the New Testament and today. And, and so Grudem here, sadly, has just totally dismissed scripture as being that which is authoritative and has adopted the modern day charismatics, um, what they see in their movement as being authoritative. He's saying, well, basically, I know scripture says this, but it's pretty uniform in all the charismatic movement that prophecy is wrong today. So rather than scripture being our authority, Wayne Grudem basically takes experience as an authority, um, you know, which is, which is, Pretty ironic because if yeah. you read through his systematic theology, which largely is actually great, yeah, um, he's constantly going to the Bible to back up. Yeah, yeah, you find exactly the opposite argument. But for some reason, when it comes to the gifts, he leaves hermeneutics 
proper hermeneutics, and he goes to letting experience define truth. And and so these guys give way too much cover. Um, Sam Storms is another one. Um, he says, um, well, rather, he says one should avoid looking to or depending on the gift of prophecy for making routine daily decisions in life. God does not intend for the gift of prophecy to be used as the usual way we make decisions regarding his will. Um, and, and so it, that's a good statement. We shouldn't, um, but it doesn't go far enough, right? It still leaves too much room for what we see, uh, what we see today. And these guys go on and on. Um, you know, I, I think it was, you mentioned last episode about Piper and I found that, um, uh, like I found another quote where Piper was given a prophecy. He says, a woman came to me while my wife was pregnant with my fourth child. Um, and she says, I, this is the one you were talking about. I have a very yep. hard prophecy for you. Um, I said, okay. She said, in fact, she wrote it down and gave it to me. Your wife is going to die in childbirth and you're going to have a daughter. Um, when I went back to my study, I got down and I just wept. And when we delivered our fourth boy, not a girl, I gave a whoop which I always do, but this whoop was a little extra because I knew as soon as the boy was born, this was not a true prophecy. Mm. And we talked about this last time, but I, I mean, here you have, you know, uh, John Piper is way smarter than I'll ever be. Here you have a man who I think genuinely loves the Lord. He's a brother in Christ. He's an intelligent guy. Um, and, and his life was wrecked because he let whatever it, it is outside of scripture paint his view of prophets and prophecy. And, and so even someone like that was manipulated emotionally because of a biblical misunderstanding. And by the way, this woman would have been stoned in the Old Testament um, had she had given that prophecy. False. I mean, this is the definition we come to of a false prophet. And so you just kind of have, you know, these sort of things um, over and over again. Um, and you, you can look up quote after quote. But in the, New, in, in the Old Testament, you see these litmus tests and you do not see them changed in the New Testament. And, and so for someone to be a prophet, they have to be morally upright, characterized by, by their, their moral fidelity. Um, they have to not only be accurate in their prophecy, not just some of their prophecies, but every prophecy. Um, they, they have to be accurate 100% in every prophecy, and then they have to be doctrinally solid. And you just can't point to anything like that today. Not at all. Um, and, and so it's always very interesting. But let me ask you this. So we kind of see this in Scripture what do you think the reason is people are so desperate to want to hear some kind of word from God uh, that, that, that they want to believe there's prophets and prophecy? Yeah, that, that's, that's a good question. And I think when we talk about the fruit of a, a movement and you had mentioned the example of um, immorality uh, amongst its leaders, that, that certainly is an issue. But I would say the other issue is exactly what we're describing, that People are following after what is spoken rather than devoting themselves to what is read. Um, even the Old Testament prophets were not known that way. I mean, you think about 
Think about Daniel and his prayer of repentance in Daniel chapter nine came after he was reading from the words of Jeremiah, right? And and Jeremiah, as he's watching the temple burn down and he's getting getting himself into this spiral of depression, he pulls himself out of that depression by reminding himself of God's mercy and faithfulness, mm-hmm. which comes from Exodus when the Lord revealed himself to Moses. And even Jonah, who disobeyed God and said in chapter four, see, I knew this was going to happen because you're a loving and gracious God. He is referring once again to what was revealed to Moses back in, in Exodus. So as for today, I, I think what we're seeing is Second Timothy 4 play out. When Paul mm-hmm. tells Timothy, preach the word, there's going to come a time where people are seeking people, seeking teachers who will tickle their ears. And I think largely man in his natural state wants to hear from people that make them feel good. And a lot of these prophets are also prosperity preachers. Um, they, yeah. they give them promises that they can't fulfill, but ends up giving false hope to those who hear it. And unfortunately, those who hear it, when that hope is when that hope gets dashed, you know, they walk away thinking that Christianity is a failure. Well, it's not a failure. You just weren't receiving true Christianity. So I think we as um, as a people, we are naturally idolaters. We tend to worship uh, those whom we hope in. Um, I, I was just talking about this yesterday. You think about the celebrity culture. I remember growing up uh, during the heyday of Michael Jackson and how so many people would not only listen to him, but they would dance like him. They would dress like him. He would go to these concerts uh, overseas. And, and I would just always see this footage of people who are in tears. They're so happy to see him. So we, we tend to be followers of men rather than devoting ourselves to the word because devoting ourselves to the word, it, it's hard work. Um, it takes time. It takes dedication, but it also takes a conviction that these are indeed God's words. And even the Apostle Paul, and we've mentioned the example at Berea, when he went to Berea, uh, Luke writes down that these Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received uh, Paul's words, but then they also eagerly examined the scriptures to see if these things were really Mm so. And, And that's the fruit of a good and healthy set of believers. If you go to a church and you see a lot of emphasis upon a, a word of wisdom, upon tongues, upon a spoken prophecy, and you see that um, exceeding uh, a devotion to what the word of God says, that to me is much easier fruit to discern oftentimes than whether someone's being immoral or not, because you may not automatically see the immorality that's happening behind the scenes. In fact, there may not be at, at a particular church that you go to. But if you see a church that is more devoted to those experiences, those those sign gifts, um, prophecies that, that even by their own admission is not always true. In fact, I've even heard different standards from people as to how you know a prophet is a prophet. Some people say, well, 50% of his predictions come true. Some people say yeah. if even just 33% of his predictions come true. These are totally arbitrary um, numbers, and it causes people... To be to, to be anxious uh, when they receive prophecies like what John Piper had received. You had given the example of some prophets. <clears throat> well, what was a Jack Deere who mentioned how some prophets have yeah. have caused uh, financial turmoil to others. Folks, this is not good fruit. Uh, Jesus says himself in Matthew chapter seven, "You shall know them by their fruit." And if you have mm-hmm. a leader of a congregation, someone who is a minister, a, a spokesperson, of God, who's words are causing people to actually be in financial ruin that that should never be happening 
I'm not saying a Christian can't be wrecked with uh, financial hardship or find him or herself in financial ruin. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that it should not be as a result of bad counsel or a bad prophecy given by a minister of God. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you just went and looked at all of the so-called prophets out there and you just applied the biblical standard, all you'd have to do is find one of these three litmus tests that they failed. And most of them will fail at least two of them. Just one prophecy that didn't come true. And according to the word of God, they should be labeled a false prophet and never, never even looked at again. Um, in, in that way. And so, I mean, look at all the prophecies about the last pre- about the last presidency. I mean, you could write off most yeah. of the charismatic church mm-hmm. just on that one. We're coming up, yeah. coming up on another election. And look, I mean, elections are easy prophecies because you got a 50, 50 percent chance of yeah, getting it right. 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 You know, mm-hmm. just wait, wait till you get down to the last two guys and prophesy. And if you teach that, well, prophecy doesn't have to be accurate anymore, then what do you have to lose? You know, yeah. just just pick the guy. Um, and and then, you know, if you're right, um, you know, then what happens in the charismatic churches are like, oh, he was right. And so he must be a real prophet and he really heard from God. But as you see, it's not just that if you the, the real prophet was even right, it's that they're doctrinally accurate and they're they, they have moral fidelity to, to to biblical morals. So it's all those things. And you're you're forced to acknowledge whether you want there to be. The gift of prophecy today or not, you're forced to acknowledge that we don't have any of that today. Um, we don't see anything biblical. Now, it's interesting because guys like, so Wayne Grudem, John Piper, and Sam Storms both um, would distinguish prophecy in two different ways. And, and this is interesting because, again, this is a little more on the academic side than just the plain charismatic way, but they they give room for that. So those three guys would basically and effectively say there are two different types of prophecy. We don't see this in scripture, but um, they, they would say there's this kind of authoritative revelatory prophecy, um, that, exactly what we see in scripture. And then I think the term that they use, if I'm not mistaken, is like congregational prophecy. And they would say of this kind of modern day prophecy that basically it's just sort of on par with good advice. But that's never been what prophecy no, is. No. And in fact, um, in a debate with Ian Hamilton, which uh, I, I would recommend anyone go and, and listen, you can Google search it. Um, Wayne Grudem and, and Ian Hamilton had a debate on this issue. And Wayne Grudem said this about modern day prophecy. He said, and I quote, I would put this idea of God bringing things to mind in the same category of authority as advice or counsel from a godly person, end quote. Um, and that's just never been what prophecy is. And if that's all it is, then shouldn't we just be going straight to the scripture and deriving our counsel from that so that we know it is in fact, based on God's word, there's no guessing. There's no, um, I I mean, this is what biblical, true biblical counseling is. Um, I mean, you know, true biblical counseling is not just me sharing my thoughts and opinions with someone. It's not just you sharing your good ideas with someone. It's opening up the scriptures and helping people rightly apply scripture in right context to the issues of life. And you can say, thus says the Lord, this is God's wisdom. This is what we have in scripture. Here are some ways that this can be applied to your life in this situation. 
It's not just a good idea. Um, and so this idea of e even these guys, these three guys would say that's effectively what modern day prophecy is. Well, if that's what modern day prophets are, then we don't need them because we have yeah. something more sure, the, the, the very word of God, um, which kind of leads me back to he, you know, you can go back to um, who was it? Peter that made that statement, right? After they saw, um, you know, the transfigured Christ, he says, yeah. even though yeah, we we've seen all of this, sure. and I'm paraphrasing yeah. it, we have something more sure that the mm -hmm. word of God. And so if that's what modern day prophecy is, then we should just ignore it anyway, because you can go to the word of God. And I think that is at the, the heart of this, the, the issue. The, the reason people follow false prophets and prophecies is ultimately because they don't believe the Bible is, in fact, the word of God. Um, we, we've said it jokingly, right? If you want to hear God's word, read your Bible. If you want to hear it out audibly, read it out yeah. loud. Um, but um, it, it really is true. It, if you want to hear God speak to you, he's done that, but he's given yeah. it to us in the form of written scripture today. Um, you know, Hebrews 1. I, I love that passage. I go to it a lot. I'll read it again. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made all the world. And I, I think there are multiple um, appropriate uh understandings to that passage um christ came as the final revelation of what god had promised his people um he trained the apostles the, the the words that they spoke were the words of god and what we have today is now the canon right the 66 books of your bible is the word of god and you'll find interestingly enough that most charismatics who go around chasing after all these false teachers and false prophets they don't even know their bible they say they want a word from god uh but you know they're not reading the text they're not reading the writings god gave them you know it's interesting it would be like if after god um with his own hand as it were um wrote the ten commandments if moses was like no this isn't good i want a word from you lord just that's tell me right. i mean it's silly right to say it that way but that's kind of what we do um, but God doesn't speak that way anymore. And that's God's choice. And so in some ways, we actually fight against God when we reject his word for some sort of esoteric feeling or inspirational thought that we can attribute to him. Um, it's really quite um, more of a severe thing than I think we think of. Again, if we lived in the Old Testament, most of the charismatic church would be stoned to death. I would have been stoned to death when I was in the charismatic church, you know? And so since we, we have God's grace in this time in church history and, and we don't do that, um, we, we kind of take way too much liberty with it, but it's actually quite a severe thing, I think. Yeah. And I think when we just consider for a moment, Wayne Grudem's argument that this is a little bit more like advice and, and think for a moment, what is, the modern day standard of a prophet you know the a couple of examples that i heard like i just mentioned that 
a prophet is someone who gets it right 50% of the time, or a prophet is someone who gets it right even just 33% of the time. Well, if it's 50% of the time, you're just as going to be just as accurate flipping a coin, right? And if it's 33% of the time, that's not a gift. That's a curse. That that would tell me if if I knew that you were right 33% of the time, then I have better odds of doing the exact opposite of what you're telling me rather than actually following what you tell me. So what is the value? And and I would I would say this. We talk about biblical counseling, and it is so much more edifying to actually open up the Word of God and to say, this is what the Word of God says, and to start discussing what are the application principles that we can pull out of that. Because now you've got two people that are actually thinking about what we know that God has said, rather than guessing whether a prophet is speaking truth or not. And you know, I think the reason why this doesn't happen often enough in these circles, if it happens at all, is one, either they don't know the Word of God, um, and they don't know it because they don't read it, or, or two, they read it and they don't understand it because they take things out of context and they're eisegeting, reading their own ideas into it. Or if they understand it, then they simply don't believe it. Or even if they believe it, they don't believe it's sufficient, right? Which in some cases, yeah. if you believe it, then you would actually have to believe that it's sufficient because we know from 2 Timothy 3.17 that the word of God is not only breathed out by God, but it is it is sufficient to to equip the man of God for every work that God has created for him. So the word of God has to be the standard. And I would say if you know family, friends, loved ones, and I get this question a lot, there are a lot of people that say, I have a sister, I've got this brother, I've got this close friend, and they really believe in this stuff and they they argue for it and all that. You know, I I, I don't like to waste a lot of time just trying to argue whether the gift of prophecy and tongue is for today. What I always tried to do is let's take it back to scripture. Let's take it back to scripture. Let's take it back to scripture. At the very least, though, Piper Grudem and Sam Storms um, provide some coverage for them by trying to normalize in some sense what they're doing. I, I do know that when they're not talking about this topic, they actually operate in a way that shows honor to the word of God, because each one of them um, though I may not agree with every single thing that they believe, each one of them will go to the scriptures and and provide what I believe is a faithful interpretation on their part of what they think the Word of God is saying. We may have some disagreements there, but I don't believe that they're intentionally trying to deceive, and I don't believe that they they see scripture as something other than what we see it as, which is inerrant, um, authoritative, and and sufficient. Um, so the the word of God is um, being buried um, by this movement, by the words of men. And if you know anything about the depravity of man and the imperfection of men, you know that the wisdom of men is is not going to carry you very far. In fact, it's going to lead you to death ultimately if that's what you're relying upon. And we as pastors, that's not to say that we as pastors have a perfect standard. Um, that's not uh, that that's not hypocrisy at all because we're not claiming to be prophets. And as pastors, our job is to proclaim the word of God. I tell people in our congregation all the time that the reason why I read verse by verse and provide you with a lot of cross references is so that you can be noble Bereans and actually check the scriptures to see if I'm correct. And you may come to a different conviction, or if you think I'm wrong, I tell them, come with me. Uh, let's talk about it. Let's open up the scriptures and talk about it. We should all be willing to be corrected by what the Word of God says. And there may be times where we can come to 
um, come to a point where we agree to disagree because of our different interpretations of what the Word of God says, and yet still respect each other as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, ultimately because we believe the purity of the gospel, we believe that salvation is by grace alone through Christ alone, and that forgiveness of sins can only be uh, only be uh, attained by our faith and repentance in following the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, and and that's a good reminder. It 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 matters where disagreements are, but not all disagreements warrant, you know, breaking fellowship and strife yeah. in the in, in the church. In fact, I'd say it never should lead to strife in the church. If it's too bad, then that's what church discipline is for, you know, to protect and guard these things. And so, yeah, and, and that's ultimately it. You know, we as believers, we've got to get in the habit of saying, what does the scripture say? What does the scripture say? Okay, that's your opinion. Thank you. I appreciate that. But what does the scripture say? I mean, this was the very thing you brought up the Bereans that Paul, um, I mean, r- really just um, showered them with compliment for, right, is that they heard his teaching and that they and then they tested it. I think every good pastor longs for a congregation that does that. You know, I don't want people right. believing uh, what I'm saying just because I'm saying it. Um, now, again, it helps that we preach expositionally. That's why one of the many reasons we do that, so that people can see from the text um, where we're getting what we're teaching. Uh, but we want people to go home and consider um, what's been said and dive in, check the references for themselves. And then, as you say, yep. come back and talk to us if there are questions. That's that's just the mark of a healthy biblical Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so when we are so enamored with God's word, you know, then these kind of silly things just start to fall away and lose interest. And I think that's really just part of the key is, you know, for for some of us, and this even in our circles, and let's just kind of spend the last few minutes, you know, because a lot of the guys who are listening, they'll agree with us and they're going to understand Um, And they're going to say, well, you know, we don't really have that in kind of our church circles. But I think we do have some of this in different ways in our circles, because I do hear it kind of frequently. Um, And it comes out more like this kind of subtle thing. Well, you know, I kind of think the the Lord just told me this or the Lord just had me do this. Sometimes it's it's innocent and it's just a poor use of words. Um, sometimes it is kind of getting to this sort of mystical, um, idea that, you know, this thought I had, it was actually God speaking to me and, and maybe they don't quite communicate it that way. Um, and, and let me be clear, the Holy Spirit certainly does guide us and lead us. Um, but that is predominantly as we grow and learn the mm-hmm. scriptures that he'll bring to memory things that we've learned. Um, he'll, uh, you know, he, you know, it's an intricate, really miraculous thing. And so we, we don't fully understand it, but he, but the Holy Spirit never guides and leads us apart from the scriptures. Um, that that's never the case. And so we have to be careful also, um, that we aren't kind of taking our own thoughts in our camp, um, and saying, you know, well, this is what I really think the Lord has for you. And sometimes it's just we need to learn how to say those things better. Um, it, you know, so if I'm it, you're talking to me and, you know, sometimes we talk before the show or whatever. and um, I've got a question and you say, well, yeah, this scripture comes to mind. 
Um, I trust that, you know, if, if it's applicable to my life and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a really great scripture for that. I mean, that's the Holy Spirit working through you, bringing to memory the scriptures that you've studied and that you know. And that's an amazing thing. And in that sense, it's a word from God because it's scripture, rightly applied. Um, but it's not some mystical thing, right, um, where we have to get this kind of special um, thought or knowledge. I think we do have that in our camps, right, in those more subtle forms. Um, and, and I think still the same guard is is true. The, the The way to guard ourselves from that is just fall in love with God's word that he's given us in the Bible. Um, You don't get any clearer scripture than the first Timothy passage you read. Um, And in fact, let me, let me read that again uh, verbatim. Uh, Verse 16, 17, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training and righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good word. I mean, that is a critical, critical text because the word adequate there does not mean it does not have the definition the way we often use it. We often talk about someone being adequate as in being just good enough. Like it's not the best, but it's good enough. They're adequate for the job. That's not what the word means here. It really means complete and in every way. Um, So in other words, the scriptures, the written word of God is profitable to equip us fully, completely, in every way for what God's called us to do. And if that's true, and I can hear R.C. Sproul uh, correcting me in the background from conference talks I've heard, right? Since that's true, um, since that's true because it's the word of God, and actually we don't need prophecy, right? God says his word's enough. And so to chase anything else is really a fundamental denial of what God has said is true in his word. Um, And so I I think that's, we just got to keep going back to what does the scripture say? God is a big enough God. He's a sovereign God that he gave us everything we need. He didn't leave anything out. Whatever gifts we don't have today, the miraculous sign gifts, we don't have apostles today. We don't have prophets today. We're left with pastors, teachers, preachers, um, evangelists, you know, God did that by design um, because that was the best for his church. And it's not up to us to kind of try to manipulate and hold on to things because we like them or because we're enamored by, you know, the miraculous. Um, It's just our job to say, what does the text say? And let's follow that. And this is what's best for us. And we lay hold on on those things, put our stock in the written word of God as that which is sure. Yeah, and this is not putting the Holy Spirit in a box, as some might uh, might accuse us of doing. The, the Holy Spirit, we know from Second Peter chapter one, verse twenty-one: No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Even Jesus, in quoting David and uh, Psalm one ten, which Psalm one ten never mentions the Spirit, but uh, Jesus portrays Psalm one ten as David. Um, being being moved by the Spirit to write these things. So we know all the scriptures came by the Spirit, and we know from 1 Corinthians mm-hmm. 2 
that the Spirit illuminates our minds to the text. So it's actually not putting the Holy Spirit in a box, but it's actually honoring what the text says about what the Holy Spirit actually does. The Holy Spirit does not operate independently of Scripture. Now, there may be times that the Holy Spirit might um, protect you from trouble, might uh, steer you in one direction, but those are the kinds of things that at the time when it happens, I never truly know how God is working. It's only when I look back. And in fact, uh, talking about kind of mystical type of experiences, there's really only one that I can think of in my life, and that was that that was when I first became a believer. Um, I was going through the fundamentals of the faith. Um, I started that class as a self-deceived believer, and New Year's resolutions, uh, New Year's Eve was coming up. I was thinking through re- various resolutions, and after thinking through various resolutions, none of them which really appealed to me, um, I had the thought come into my head that you know what. I want to do. I want to serve God, and and that was um and that stuck, and that by the grace of God has continued to stick. And and looking back now, I, I realize that that was probably the Holy Spirit putting that thought into my mind. But it came as a result of just going through the fundamentals of the faith, being in Bible study, um, listening to a lot of great preaching. Um, all those things combined uh, contributed to that. Now there there may be times that you have those kinds of moments. Um, but you should always discern them. You should always think them through. So in thinking through biblically, someone who says, you know what, I had this impulse that I should just serve God. You know, that's an easy one to affirm. Yeah, absolutely. Serve God. That's that's a good one. You know, follow that. Absolutely. But, you know, if someone says, you know what, I, I'm thinking that the Spirit is telling me, you know, Francis Chan comes to mind. He was at some sort of conference and this lady from the Roman Catholic Church um, asked him a question at the end. Um, he had given uh, basically this um, long exposition about the, what the gospel is and and being faithful to what the gospel is. But this woman said, I'm going back to the Roman Catholic Church. What would you like me to tell their leaders? And I would think that would be a glorious opportunity to say, mm-hmm. affirm what the gospel is, that it's not according to the church. The, the head of the church is not the pope. Um, salvation is not by works. It is by faith alone. That's exactly what the Bible says. But instead, Francis Chan looked up at the sky for about 10 seconds in silence and then looked down at her and responded, I don't believe the Holy Spirit wants me to answer that. You know, that's giving the Holy Spirit credit for something that to mm-hmm. me is strictly unbiblical. You you discern that. Just discern that for a moment. Does that yeah. sound like the mm-hmm. Spirit of God according to the character of God that we see in Scripture? It doesn't. So even when you have these impulses, when you have these thoughts— Think through them with biblical principles, discern them with biblical principles, and sometimes the decisions that we make are just by our own preferences. You're trying to choose between house A and house B, well, you're going to end up choosing the one that you prefer. It's not going to be the Word of God coming to your mind or the Holy Spirit moving you in in a certain direction. But when it comes to actual spiritual decisions, think with spiritual thoughts according to the spiritual Word that we have from a spiritual God. Amen. Well, guys, I hope that this has been helpful to you. There are no more prophets today, no more apostles today. God saw fit to use them for a season and time. And then God saw fit um, to work differently now, as we read in Hebrews. And so, contrarily to what people would say, um, we're, in fact, not trying to put God in a box. We're just trying to believe what he says and understand how he works in the church today. And that's to give God the greatest glory and the highest honor is to simply be obedient to how he chooses to work 
in every era of the church. There were some seasons in the church in in where God didn't even speak to his people. 400 years. Yeah. God mm-hmm. chose not to do what he had did previ- what he had done previously. Um he just said you're not getting anything. Um and so who are we to tell God how he has to operate? Um we just simply observe and obey and submit to that. So um thank you guys for listening. Hope that this was helpful. Uh, by the way, uh, if you don't know, we have our YouTube channel. We'd love for you to subscribe there, um, and you can uh, see faces if you prefer that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.